This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Redemption. As Adam was just saying, we're going to be reading from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 13. We'll begin with the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth, Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, I think it's Beth, Bethphage, I think it's right, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill, fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, a col- and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the, or Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Thanks, Jay. Have you ever had an experience where you thought something was true about you, and then that got put to the test and you realize it wasn't as true as you thought? There's a couple years ago now where um, I had never run in a 5K race, and I was running... And um, there was there's one coming up for In Touch Salon. And so uh, Drew and I both signed up to run this 5K together. And uh, so, so we did that. And I thought that I was, you know, getting to be a runner. I thought so. And then Drew and I line up. And then they say, you know, go or they fire the gun or whatever they did. I forgot. And then Drew goes, phew. And I go, oh, <laughs> that's what a runner looks like. <laughs> that's what the back of a runner looks like, at least. <laughs> That's true. It was just, and I was, yeah. And uh, you, get, you know, get to the end of the whole thing, and there's you, hey, great job. And I'm like walking across the finish line. No, that was not a great job. But I thought one thing about me that was true, and then I got put to the test. And uh, what I discovered was it wasn't so true about me. Is Jesus your king? There's probably not a person in this room that would say, no, he's not my king. We all want him to be our king. We all believe he is. But what happens when that gets really put to the test? We are obviously celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And we see this contrast. These multitudes of crowds calling him king. And then the disciples who actually 
live with him as their king. The idea of kingship is really all throughout the text. In fact, take your eyes and look at verse number five uh, here where it says this, where um, Matthew is quoting the prophets. He says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your, what does the Bible say, church? King is coming to you. So he's acknowledging that. And then we see what the crowds are saying in verse number nine. Look at verse number nine. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the the son of David. That's really important uh, because they were acknowledging, here is David's heir. Here is the one who should be sitting as king of Jerusalem. So here he's coming. Is he really the king though? They were calling him king. In fact, we're going to look at uh, Luke 19 a little bit later. This is Luke's account of the same event. And Luke records this. And as he was drawing near, already on the way to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So, yeah, King Jesus. Here comes King Jesus. Praise King Jesus. Was he really their king, though? Because in just a few short days, they won't be crying out, King Jesus. They'll be crying out, what church? Crucify him. Crucify him. It's one thing for us to come into a church building on a Sunday morning and to sing songs, to worship God, to know he should be our king. But as you live your life tomorrow, is he going to be king? Well, that's the question of the day. Write this down. Is Jesus your king? Is he really your king? And I want to put that to the test. And what I want to do is take a look at how the disciples responded. And there are some encouraging responses from the disciples in this. And uh, I want to say it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. Talk is cheap. Let's lean in and live as Jesus really being our king. And I want to show you from the text four right responses. If Jesus is really king, here are four right responses. So here, I want you to say this. Let me say, if Jesus is my king, say it. If Jesus is my king, here's the first right response. I will obey him. I will obey him. So what I want to do, I want to go back to this text, this beautiful story that Matthew writes about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at verse number one of this and check this out. This is interesting now. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came near to actually Bethphage is how you would say that in the, but it's, let's just call it Bethphage. Okay. This is it. Bethphage. To the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. Now watch what it says. And immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Imagine being the disciples in that moment. Hey, Aaron, would you run over, and I'm just going to throw it over there, so either one. Uh, would you run out, and there's this donkey I got tied at the neighbor's house. Just go get him. And you'd be like, hold on a second. He knows we're coming, right? (laughs) He's like aware we're taking his donkey and his horse, right? He knows this. Tell me he knows this. And we don't know if Jesus set things up ahead of time, if he just knew the the heart of the donkey owner enough. We don't know any of that. Uh, and, And disciples, who knows what they knew? But Jesus gives them this really odd, strange command. And so what do they do with that? Let's take a look at verse number six. 
the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. Might be a good verse to underline in your Bible. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. We don't know what they knew, but we know they didn't know it all. They didn't know everything, but they knew enough to trust him and to trust him and obey him. Trust and obey him. That's what they are doing here. We're not, uh, we're not so good at trusting and obeying, are we? And something happens with, with kids, and uh, at some point in time, things kind of change in their trust and obedience. Like when they were little, I could say, hey, would you go get daddy some coffee? They'd be like, oh, yeah, and they'd go, and they'd pour daddy coffee, and they'd bring it back. Here you go, daddy. Here's your coffee. It was so sweet, and pat him on the head and all that. And now it's like, hey, would you go get dad some coffee? Why? Because I want some coffee. Well, haven't you had enough? Um, I need some coffee, like, right now, okay? Like, right now. Just trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. And that's a really bad key. I am so sorry. Terrible key to leave that in. And you see me doing this? This is, like, way back. I, I jumped back into 80s worship for a second. Sorry about that. Yeah, trust and obey, trust and obey. Did you know how much God has said in his word to do? Like how many commands we have coming from Jesus? Think about it for me. There's a ton of stuff in here that we need to trust and obey. And should we or should we not obey the Lord? Come on, we should obey the Lord. Absolutely obey him. We should do what he says to do. Now, hold on a second, because didn't I just stand up here last week and say very firmly, it's not about the law, it's about grace. Not the law, but grace. And now I'm saying, no, you need to, you need to do some things that Jesus asked you to do. So which is it? Do we keep the law? Do we do the things that God's asked us, or, or do we live in grace? And welcome to the ancient debate over legalism versus antinomianism. Legalism is all about the law. Antinomianism, anti-against, nomos, law, is not about the law at all. Both are wrong. In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. It's been around for a long time. Romans chapter 5 says this. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, right? That's what the law does. But where sin increased, come on, church, say it with me, grace abounded all the more. Aren't you thankful for that? And the text goes on to say this. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, it's grace that leads us to righteousness. It's all about grace. So sweet, baby. I'll just do what I want to do, man. I'll send it up. I'll send it up big time to get that grace. I'm covered anyway, right? So it's all good. And then Romans 6, the very next verse in the Bible. Romans 6 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And that next word in the Greek is very strong. By no means may it never be true. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Now, here's what it is. Listen. God still has rules. There's still a right and a wrong. And we should be very diligent 
to know what God has said and then to do as Jesus directs us to do. Okay? All over the Bible, there are things to know and things to study. But the reason why we do them is not out of fear. Right? You don't want your kids obeying you out of fear. I hope you don't. Maybe a little bit sometimes. Maybe when it comes to cleaning their rooms. But there's a whole other avenue to run down that we won't go into today. We don't want our kids serving us out of fear. Don't you want your kids serving you out of love and obeying you out of love? And we're to obey our Lord because we love him. And we love him because, church, he loved us through his grace. And that grace pushes us. So let me give you a couple of examples. Just to throw it out there. Let's just see how we're doing on this obedience thing, all right? A little quiz this morning about how we're doing in obedience. So how about this one? This is Matthew 5, 44, which says, Jesus' words, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We don't love our enemies. We eviscerate our enemies on social media, right? So that's a little tough. Okay, how about this? Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, though. Anything? That's hard. This next one's hard for me, uh, especially on Mondays. Philippians 2.14. Check this out. Do you know what is in the Bible? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. <laughs> Now, this is typically a, a parents of teenagers like normally have this verse posted on, well, the refrigerator, their windows, their mirrors, all that. Uh, but reality is that don't, don't we need these two? Jamie needs this on Mondays. Like Mondays are rough. I, I preach twice. Oftentimes I'll counsel or teach something on Sunday night and then I'll, I'll sleep, try to sleep and get up in the morning and be like, oh man, I just hate everybody this morning. I know I'll go to the office. <laughs> You pray for my staff, would you? They say I'm surly on Monday mornings. I had to look up the word, but okay, whatever. Um, This is in the Bible. Do all things without grumbling. And what's awesome is that next verse says that when we live in a crooked and perverse generations, we will shine if we don't grumble or dispute. Okay, so how are we doing with all that? Let me give you uh, three reasons why we don't obey. Three reasons why we don't obey. Here's number, we'll, we'll do them in, like in, in descending order. So number three. Number three reason. I don't think it's number one, but I think it might be number three reason why we don't. is because we don't know what he wants. We just don't know. We're ignorant of what God's word says. Again, I said, I said to you, there's all kinds of stuff in this Bible. All kinds of commands to follow. All kinds of rules to walk in. But do you know them? Did you know what it really looks like to be God's kind of a husband, God's kind of a father, God's kind of a wife, God's kind of a mother, God's kind of a co-worker, God's kind of a church member? Like, have we studied it out? Do we know what God's word has called us to do? So, so, so we need more Bible knowledge. And I want to encourage you, make church a thing. You're here this morning. Praise God for that. Make it a regular, ongoing part of your life. Make it hard to miss church for your family. Does that make sense? And today's so easy. It's so easy to miss church because we're online. You can get up, get a cup of coffee, your jammies, and you're good. And some of you right now are doing that, aren't you? <laughs> Conviction. 
revival is going to break out all over Fort Wayne now because of that just one moment. Uh, but you know what? But, but it's very, very easy to do that. It's very easy to just say chill and, and but make this important. Make the gathering. The church is a assembly. Let's make church gathering important. Get under his word. Get into a small group. Get into your personal devotional time. Like read God's word. And if you need help with that, we do have help. We have um, you know, booklets we, Adam talked about. We have people to come alongside and help you get that into your life. So that's number three. Just, you know, I don't think it's number one. I think it's number three. But here's number two then. Uh, we think knowing is enough. This is really easy to do. You read it and you know it, so therefore you think you got it. But it's got to go beyond just knowing. It's got to go into doing. A typical example I always give is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Like you can know that. What's it going to look like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to actually walk in love? Preach the gospel everywhere to all creatures. I know it, but how do I do it? We think knowing is enough. I think the number one reason why we don't obey is because really we don't trust him. Let's go back to those same three we gave earlier, the same three examples that we talked about. So love your enemies, but don't I need to tear my enemies down? If I don't tear them down, they're going to wreck our country. Well, do we live for a country or do we live for a kingdom? And do we trust God with whatever he's going to do with our country? Because the Bible says to seek first the kingdom of God. He'll, he'll take care of the rest. So I just need to seek first his kingdom. And I got to be more concerned about their eternal salvation than I do about their political affiliation. I'm going to turn that into a rap later. Those two rhyming words, just hang on. It'll post on social media. It'll be awesome. So do we love our neighbors? How about be anxious for nothing? Really? But what about blank? And what about blank? And what about... <sighs> can I really trust God with all these things that I don't know or how it's going to turn out and I don't know what's going to be and do I really trust him? <coughs> trust and obey. Trust is the center part of all that. Is the lack of faith behind our grumbling? Yeah, it is. Should be different than this. Shouldn't be this way. I should feel better. This should be better. I should be more comfortable. Should be more at peace. God, why aren't you allowing this to be the way I think it should be? There is some lack of faith there. In fact, listen, every time we sin, every disobedience is a lack of faith. It's a lack of trusting God. We have to see it that way. All right. So what do you do if you've fallen into one of these three things? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? You go to him for more grace. <laughs> and you find him forgiving you and loving you, even though you failed. And you confess your sin to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you live in his grace and you rejoice in his grace. And you love him because he first loved you. And you get back up and you get after it again and you try to walk in obedience. It's all about Grace driving our obedience to his law. It's his word, grace driving our obedience. Number one, if Jesus is really king, I will obey him. 
Here's number two. Say it. If Jesus is my king, say it. If Jesus is my king. Number two, then I will sacrifice for him. I will sacrifice for him. So this is coming from verse number seven. If you let your eyes fall on that. So we made it through verse number six. Here's seven. Uh, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Where's that coming from? Did Jesus ask them to put their cloaks on the donkey? No, but they just did it. In fact, you see this in the next verse. Everyone else follows suit, and most of the crowd then spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. What we call it Palm Sunday, but there is this beautiful act of laying a coat, laying their own clothing down. Now, it was uh, hearkening back to an ancient ritual of uh, paying homage to the king. And to pay homage to the king, you would do that. You would lay a cloak down or something down. And they were just doing that as an act of sacrifice for the Lord. You see, it's one thing to give somebody else's donkey. It's another thing to offer your own clothes. It's one thing when um, you go to the store with your kids and you're like, Hey, everybody, daddy's going to buy you a present. Pick out whatever you want. They come back with that $250 device that has the thing and the thing and, you know. Different than saying, okay, go spend your own money. (laughs) It's one thing to give someone else's donkey. It's another thing to offer your own clothes. What are you willing to lay down at the feet of Jesus? Maybe better put, What's holding you back from laying more down at the feet of Jesus? What will you offer as a sacrifice to him? If we're not careful, church can become more about what we get than what we give. We can become more like we can approach church more like consumers than we do contributors. We can approach it more like we're consumers than we do contributors. And the question is, okay, well, I like that church because I get this, and they got this, and they got this. And it's what I, or is it about what well, you can sacrificially give? Because the Bible says this in Hebrews thirteen fifteen. It says, through him then, let us, how often? Continually offer up a, check this out, sacrifice of praise to God. It's a sacrifice that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. By the way, that's not just singing on a Sunday morning. That's living on Monday afternoon, telling anybody who you can how awesome your God is, praising him and spreading his fame to all you can. That's what that's all about. But it's a sacrifice. It's giving. So what can we give to the Lord? Well, we talk about this, but here's three things you can sacrifice, three ways to sacrifice for the king. Number one, we can sacrifice our time. Our time. Time is precious, and we're a busy people. Can I get a witness? If you got kids, you know it's, it can be really busy and, and all that. And you might think, man, do I really have the time to come and give to a church? Do I really time to do all of that? I want to encourage you. It's a sacrifice. You know, the, the national statistic is that 20% of the people in a church do 100% of the work. Now, that is not so much true here at Redemption. It couldn't be. Uh, but I'm wondering if there are a good handful of people that aren't really serving the Lord. And I want to encourage you to give of your time. Not just that, but also your talents. 
your talents. I believe this very strongly. This is from, I'm going to write this reference down. You can look it up later. Romans 12, 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8. Talk about how each of you have been given gifts to use for the local church body. So, so, so what are you good at? What do you love to do? How can you offer that as a sacrifice to the Lord? And then, of course, number three is treasures, time, talents, treasures. Um, our church does really well at giving. I'm very encouraged by how much our church gives. We did have a survey done right when we began all this building project stuff to kind of get an idea of where we were uh, in our giving. And uh, we are higher than the national average as a church. But uh, all that to be said, still, the average, if you add it all up, the average family gives about 5% of their income to the church. Now, what's the bar in the Bible? 10, 10%. Okay, so we're doing higher than national average, and we're doing well, but we're halfway there. And so I would encourage you to continue to sacrifice to the Lord, continue to give, trust him. Trust him. Do you trust him? Here's an obedience, a way to sacrifice. You see, you're king. If he's really king, then we're going to obey him. If he's really king, then we're going to sacrifice for him. And this is a little bit different, but I want you to write this down. Uh, say, if Jesus is my king, come on, say it. If Jesus is my king, I will weep with him. I will weep with him. Now, would you take your Bibles and go with me over to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. You can write that word in there, but uh, let's go to Luke chapter 19. This is Luke's account of a triumphal entry. And, and Luke records something really unique and, and really beautiful but I want you to see with me here. Um, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, this is Jesus now in the triumphal entry. If he, as he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now that word in the Greek literally pictures a heaving of the chest. So it's not just a tear trickling down his cheek. It's a visceral weeping. He's, he's bawling his eyes out as he's marching into Jerusalem. Why? Well, verse number 42, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's weeping because what's going to happen in 70 AD is Titus is going to come in and Titus is going to surround Jerusalem, lay siege to Jerusalem and tear it all down. And here is Jesus coming in, foreseeing what was coming, and being like, that breaks my heart. If you would just receive me right now for who I am, all this pain can be avoided. And trusting God's plan, but being heartbroken by the rejection, he weeps. Verse 43. 
Now, would you say that our current culture is more receptive to Jesus or more rejecting of Jesus? What would you say? Even a question, it's not even a question. In fact, sometimes I come across stuff that just really is tough. I saw this video uh, with Bill Maher in it, and Bill Maher is actually, um, in his video, he's talking about Christianity. And what he does is he goes through and he accurately tells the story of the gospel. Like he gets it right. And he talks about Jesus coming, dying on the cross for the sins of people, how believing in that is supposed to save you from your sin. He, he, He nails it. And then he mocks it. And as you watch this, there's a party that's like, oh, man alive. I'm going to punch him in the name of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can get this us versus them mentality. But Jesus' heart broke. And he wept. Seeing the coming destruction, he wept. I wonder what would change us if we were to look differently at our culture and our world instead of seeing it as us versus them, seeing it as us rescuing them. All that Jesus would give me his heart. Because there's sins like this from Bill Maher that is just open and obvious mocking of the Lord. But do you know that all sin will send unbelievers to hell? It's not just Bill Maher. It's your neighbor who goes to church every Sunday, but not to a church that preaches the gospel. And look, Fort Wayne is a city of churches. There's lots and lots of people that go to church. Very few find the gospel. And let's not just assume that because our neighbor has somewhere on a Sunday morning that he knows Jesus as his Savior. That coworker who's a nice guy, but he's an atheist, needs Jesus. What is it about atheists? Atheists hate. They they talk more about God than most Christians do. (laughs) The two axioms of atheism are, there is no God, and I hate him. (laughs) They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Your friend from high school that's kind of fond of Jesus Once in a while, they'll put something out there on social media. Do they know him? As we look at the world around us, what's our visceral response? Is it a heart-breaking, weeping for the lost or more frustration? And I want to say, let's adopt the heart of the Savior. Let's adopt the heart of the Savior. If Jesus is my king, say it. If Jesus is my king, I will obey him. I will sacrifice for him. I will weep with him. 
and I will worship him. Now, those of you who are filling out blanks are mad at me right now, right? This is a visceral response of anger that you got to work through in your heart, okay? No, between the services, I took out the word. There's a word passionately. I took that out because I wanted all the verbs to be the thing we emphasize, okay? So that's why I did it. Chill out and get some help. All right, uh, I will... Write the word passion there, but I will worship him. I will worship him. Let, let's uh, go the, to the word here again. Let's check out verse number 9. You're in your text. We're in Matthew 21 now, verse number 9. And I want you to see this. This is um, the right response. This is how we should respond to Jesus, okay? This is it. All right? And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were what? Come on. Shouting. Shouting. Yeah. Is that okay to shout to the Lord? Songs of praise? Let me prove it to you. Keep your hand here. Go uh, flip back to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. You guys see this. I think that sometimes you can be like, we're in church and we're going and people are clapping and people are shouting and you're like, is this okay? (laughs) Is this all right to do? Well, take a look at verse number, uh, our chapter, sorry, Psalm 47, Psalm 47, verse number one. Psalm 47, one says this. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Absolutely. I pick on this a lot, but I got to go there again today. Uh, who's your favorite sports team? You guys watch sports ball? Yes. Anybody else? Anybody else with a favorite sports team? <laughs> there was an audible groan with the Patriots. <laughs> It's gotten better now that Brady's gone. Anyway, uh, um, who's your, I mean, come on. We love Notre Dame at, at, at uh, I almost said redemption, at the hearts. <laughs> we love Notre Dame at the hearts, especially Courtney. And you know how reserved Courtney is? You should watch when Notre Dame scores. If I'm in another room, I'll hear it. Woohoo! I'm like, is that my wife in there? Man, she loves her Notre Dame football. And we love, we love, like, you know, we shout, and there's a lot of things we can shout about, and, and your kid hitting the little ball off of the tee, and it going, and him, you know, kind of wandering to first base. Yeah, that's my boy right there. He from the wander to first base. Shout, shout, shout. Well, if there's anything to be excited about, it should be Jesus. If there's anything to get fired up about, it should be him. By the way, come next week. Now, okay, right response, track with me, right response, wrong motivation. Because, like I said before, the Hosannas and they, the behold the kings, turn to crucify him. Because when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, I had Jay read, you know, all the way to verse 13 for this reason. When, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, where does he go? He goes to the temple. Where do they want him to go? They wanted him to go to the houses of government. They wanted them to overthrow the Roman oppression. That's what they wanted. But he didn't go there. Because he wasn't here to be their governmental king. Not yet. He was there to be their spiritual king. So he goes to the temple to cleanse the temple. And then they turn on him in a heartbeat. Because their worship wasn't founded on the right thing. All right. 
Tell me if you have a story like this somewhere in your life. Friends that you know, people that you know who used to be like passionate churchgoers, passionate worshipers, they were in church every Sunday, and somewhere along the way it changed. And they fell away. And they don't go to church anymore. Do you have stories? I hear stories like that all the time. What, what's going on there? There is right action, but not right motivation. Can that happen to us? Now, I know that coming and singing on Sunday is not the only worship that we do, but it is worship that we do. You tracking? It is worship. Could you worship for wrong, wrong reasons? Let me give you three seemingly good motivations, but that are really not all that great in the end. You know, we can stand here on a Sunday morning and we can sing songs. It's not really about Jesus. It's more about my piety. Man, I, we, we do this right here, baby. We got this right at redemption. Those other churches, man, they don't do it like we do. We sing truth and we get emotional about it. Man, we're awesome. <laughs> and that could be driving. Or maybe it's this. This is hard for me. Man, I just love these people. I love these people. And we're in a room together and we're singing together and it's awesome to be with our people. Now, I, I do love you very much. And sometimes I love just to sit in the back and just to watch the church worship. And I love to see you passionately worshiping Jesus. But it doesn't end there. And it better quickly get out of my focus and Jesus better get back into my focus pretty quick. Here's another one that's very common. My passion. Woo, I love that song. Ooh, it's my favorite song. That song just hits me where, it, where I need to be hit. I like it. You know, like uh, Great Are You Lord. I love that. Love Great Are You Lord. Especially when the Hammond organ comes in on that. It's like, yeah, Jesus. In heaven, we're going to have a big old Hammond organ and... Anyway, and we can let that emotion, that feeling drive our worship. And it's really bad to let emotions drive for very long. Are you aware of this? Here's an illustration I use a lot in counseling. Let's just use a train and let's say the locomotive is truth and the caboose is emotion, right? Okay. What should drive our train? Truth. So this, this is the right way to have it. By the way, worship team, come on up. Uh, the, yeah, what should drive the train is truth. Truth should drive the train, okay? And if we get that backwards and we let emotion drive, you know what that is? That's a crazy train. That's what that is. That thing's going off the rails on a crazy train. You tracking with me? If you're thinking of the song, shame on you, okay? That's on you, not me just because I quoted it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sing that one. Uh, I don't know if singing Ozzy Osbourne in church is okay. I don't know. I haven't looked up the rules yet on that one. But but that that's, I mean, seriously though, like if you let your emotion, listen now, this is important for somebody. Some of you need to hear this. If you let how you feel drive what you believe, you're in the wrong spot. And that's crazy train. Say it again. If you let how you feel dictate what you believe, you're on the crazy train. Because there's, there's some days where I'm feeling awesome. Saturdays, when I got most of the day off. Then there's Mondays. Ugh, everyone say, Ugh. And, 
And so if I let that make me how I respond to God, how I what I believe about God is based on my emotions, that's that's the crazy train. So how do you get that settled? Well, as we often say, go back to the gospel. Truth. Jesus died for my sin, and I am free from it. Does that evoke some emotion in you? Is emotion okay? Is emotional worship okay? But the thing that should drive the emotion is the truth of God. And I'm convinced that the more we know about God, the deeper we'll love God. Amen. If they could shout Hosanna to the king, how about us shouting Hosanna to the one who died for our sin? How about us praising God passionately for who he really is, really King Jesus of our life? The right response is to passionately worship, but for the right reason, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and guess what we're going to do? No, I'll just kidding. We just brought him up here just to throw you off track. Yeah, we're going to sing to the Lord. So let me pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the gospel that really drives my worship. Lord, help us to settle our hearts on the truths that we're about to sing. And then with passion and excitement, sing Hosanna to you, King Jesus, because you deserve it, because you really are a king. Help us to grow in that. And when we fail, help us to come back to the gospel, to be forgiven again, which will generate that emotion again for you. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.